Chicago. This is Bruce Dumont with our Beyond the Beltway analysis of national politics featuring occasional injections of rumor and innuendo, all offered up by a panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight featuring our final four, Democrat Richard Boykin, Democrat Patrick Cotter, Republican Chris Roebling, and conservative Judith Sherwin. Our program tonight coming to you from our base at the Museum of Broadcast Communications in Chicago, where our toll-free lines are open at 1-800-723-8289. That's 1-800-723-8289. If you'd like to email me a comment, uh, don't do that. Please tweet me at Dumo, at D-U-M-O. And, of course, you can join us on the World Wide Web at beyondthebeltway.com. We are also live on Facebook uh, with Bruce Dumont, uh, Beyond the Belt with Bruce Dumont, and also we are live on YouTube. So it's pretty hard not to find us this evening, as well as on some of America's great uh, talk radio stations, including Sirius XM Satellite Radio. We've got lots to talk about this evening, and, uh, you know, for the last several weeks we've been talking about, well, does Joe Biden get in? Uh, what effect will Joe Biden have on the presidential politics uh, of 2020? And again, uh, a couple of weeks ago, there was polls coming out of Iowa that had him in first place at like 31 percent, with uh, Bernie Sanders in second place at 21 percent. Today, we want to begin the discussion by talking about Joe Biden, who who last week had kind of a rocky uh, road. Uh, There had been flirtations that he was going to ask uh, for a running mate uh, who, who ultimately turned him down, Stacey Abrams in Georgia turned him down before he could even make an official uh, appeal to her. She decided to take a pass on that. And then there's this thorny issue that Joe Biden has had for quite some time, and that is his conduct as the chairman of the Judiciary Committee many years ago in the Anita Hill-Clarence Thomas hearings. Last week in a speech in New York, the former vice president had this to say about Anita Hill. She faced a committee that didn't fully understand what the hell it was all about. To this day, I regret I couldn't come up with a way to get her the kind of hearing she deserved. Well, he couldn't come up with a way to do it, yet he was the chairman of that committee. But other shoes are beginning to fall insofar as Joe Biden is concerned because a Lucy, Lucy Flores, who uh, once ran for lieutenant governor uh, in uh, Nevada, she came out with a statement a couple of days ago Uh, And this is what she had to say. She said this is about an appearance that Joe Biden made for her to help her campaign for lieutenant governor. She said, quote, I have never experienced anything so blatantly inappropriate and unnerving before. He was there to promise me as the right uh, to promote me as the right person for the lieutenant governor's job. Instead, he made me feel uneasy, crass and confused. So that's Lucy Flores. So now you say, well, who is Lucy Flores? Well, Lucy Flores, it turns out, is a fan of Beto O'Rourke's. But this, <laughs> is a, this is a story that comes out. And, of course, Joe Biden has already responded to this. And this is what Joe Biden had to say. He said, to my many years on the campaign trail and in public life, I have offered countless handshakes, hugs, expressions of affection, support, and comfort. And not once, never, did I believe I acted inappropriately. If it is suggested I did so, I will listen respectfully, 
but it was never my intention. End of quote. We're going to begin this evening. We're welcoming a new guest this evening, Judy Sherwin. We thank you very much. Uh, for joining us this evening. Thank you. Uh, you're a longtime Facebook uh, follower of mine, and likewise. Uh, what is your uh, reaction to, to what Joe said, and should Joe be measured by the standards of 2019 or the standards of 25 years ago? Well, uh, first of all, thank you very much for having me on the show. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, Joe being measured by the standards of today, I mean, he doesn't have a choice. He's going to be measured by the standards of today. Uh, the, the incident that she describes, if it actually happened, is inappropriate to the max. I mean, I can't even imagine a total stranger coming up to me behind me and doing what, what he is alleged to have done to her. Which is to put her, his hands on her shoulders. And Well, putting her hands, his hands on her shoulders is not a problem. Leaning over and smelling her hair and giving her a big, long kiss on the back of her head, she's a total stranger. Where in the world would he come off doing something like okay. that? Let's hear from one of our Democrats, Patrick Cotter. You're an, uh, you're an attorney, but you're also a political uh, activist. Uh, what's your reaction to the is – this, is this an important issue for Joe Biden? I think it's important in the sense of how he responds, and I think his response today was good. I think it was about the best response he could have given. Um, I frankly don't put a lot of weight on this. I think it's a tempest in a teapot. I think people who don't like Joe – uh, won't like him after today, and the people who do, do. Everybody's known that Joe is an old-time uh, flesh pet. You know, he's, he's a guy who grabs your hand, and he hugs you, and he kisses you. We've, we've, we've all seen that. We've all seen it. Um, I think, uh, with all respect to Ms. Flores, I think it's uh, amazing that the first time she thought to mention this to anybody was the night before Beto O'Rourke's formal uh, announcement of his uh, running and where she was with him. Uh, when he announced. So I, I find that uh, more than a little bit suspicious. I don't think this, uh, frankly, changes things really for Joe. Uh, let's ask our other Democrat, Richard Boykin. Nice to have you back on the show. Your reaction? Thank you very much for having me. I agree with Pat Cotter that uh, this is much to do about nothing. Look, I, I think that you take sexual harassment allegations seriously, but uh, that's not what's being alleged here, quite frankly. Uh, this He's studied the Lyndon Baines Johnson way of things, and that is he's used to touching people, and he's always been that kind of friendly guy. And so, quite frankly, uh, I don't think he meant anything by it. Uh, would I do something like that, kiss somebody on the back of their head? Nah, I'm not that kind of a guy. Chris Roebling, uh, your response, Republican. I, I think it shows just how seriously the uh, sharks are swimming in the Democratic primary field already. And I think that we have to look at the Democratic primary field is very large, and I think there are going to be a lot of currents, there are going to be a lot of sharks, there are going to be a lot of dimes dropped, to mix metaphors, and, and you're going to see a lot of gotcha journalism uh, from one side against an individual, from one side against another side, et cetera. And uh, this is a foretaste of what he can expect if he gets in, and I think it could get very serious. I think also a couple of weeks ago in this program we talked about uh, the vault, uh, this huge vault of all kinds of video that exists uh, with Joe Biden. In fact, uh, there was a piece of video which we'll share with our television audience, and th this was uh, Joe Biden in action 
uh, involving uh, some of the uh, uh, activities uh, that you're talking about. Again, for those on television or watching on television, it's Joe Biden with his hands on a woman's shoulder and then uh, giving the, her a kiss. The wife and leaning of the, the, wife the, of wife, the yes. designee for Secretary of Defense, Ash right. Carter. That's right. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I well, mean, again, and that, that's just one, that was the one that came out today. But there, there will be there will be more than uh, more that uh, more that will come. Well, we do have to pause for a moment, and then we'll be back. By the way, Michigan State beat Duke, sixty-eight to sixty-seven. Oh boy! So we've got Michigan State, Auburn, Texas Tech, and Virginia. That's the final four. That's my final word on uh, basketball tonight. But I thought that some people. I know we got some people out in Spokane. They're still crying in their feet. They'll challenge your authority. They'll try to break your will. They'll push you to the edge of your sanity. Because that's what kids do. But this car is your territory, not theirs. Defend it. Who makes the payments? Who cleans it? Who drives it? You do. That's who. And in here, your word is law. So when you say you won't move until everyone's buckled up, you won't budge an inch. Until you hear that click. Never give up until they buckle up. A message from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. For more information, visit safercar.gov slash kidsbuckleup. Bruce Mutt back in Chicago. We continue our discussion. I'm going to spend a little more time talking about uh, the Democratic field because we've t- talked a lot about others except Joe Biden. Um, uh, a, a, a texture sent this note in. Uh, if this woman is now a, a, a Beto fanatic and was at his rally, it disqualifies her. Does anybody think this totally disqualifies her? Disqualifies her to bring up this story now? Yeah. I don't think it disqualifies her. I mean, I can understand why you would have some um, reticence to believe it completely. However, we do have so many pictures and so many videos of Joe Biden acting in a way that could best be described as creepy, uh, putting his hands on children in ways that looked, I mean, the children look uncomfortable. The women he's touching look uncomfortable. Um, that, that video that you had of um, the, uh, designated, the designated Secretary of Defense, I mean, he looked like, yeah. get your hands off my wife, please. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, yes, he has always been kind of handsy and shaking hands, but he's living in a different kind of world now, and he really needs to, I, I don't know that he can hack it. In, that, in 2019 does, with that kind of behavior. Does anyone think at the table, does anybody think it disqualifies him? I don't think so. Okay. So the question is, does it put him on defense for a significant amount of the primary campaign? Yes. Well, look, I think he has to address this, and he probably has to address any other allegations that might come forward, just given the Me Too movement and given the times that we live in. But we should never minimize uh, a, a woman or anybody who comes forward and asserts that someone made them feel uncomfortable in this way. I, we should never Pat, minimize yeah, that. I, 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 it seems to me that the, the significance of this event is that it highlights what I perceive to be Mr. Biden's greatest weakness as a candidate. He is an old white guy. 
in, in a year where it's very unclear whether the Democratic electorate, particularly the primary voters, want another old white guy. And this is just another way of underlining that he's an old white guy because a young guy wouldn't do this because a young guy would perceive that's inappropriate. I believe him that he doesn't perceive it as inappropriate. Right. But some people in the electorate would say that's the problem. You're too old, you don't understand, and therefore it could be disqualifying as far as some younger voters are concerned, not because of the event itself, but because of what it says about Joe being out of touch. Chris Roblick. Joe's well-established. Everybody knows him. He's been around forever. He was vice president for eight years, was a very popular president in Democratic circles. So he's got, he is, I think, and I said this on the show the last time I was on, the presumptive frontrunner. Mm-hmm. He's, he's out there in front, notwithstanding... Uh, Patrick's assertion, with which I agree, that he's sort of out of – by, by political sort of foundation, he's got the strongest platform. But in terms of the spirit of the age and in terms of the sort of temperature of the party today, it's not where things were when he was a kid in Scranton. It's not where things were when he became a senator in those tragic circumstances, losing his wife and kids, many, uh, almost all of them, in, in that car crash back in 1972, I believe. Mm-hmm. So Joe Biden is from another era, and I believe Patrick's right. This points that up, and I'd, not only is he from another era, not only is he aged out in some sense, not that there's age discrimination, but the other thing is, ideologically, he has dealt with Republicans. He will deal with Republicans. He doesn't say that everybody who disagrees with AOC is wrong or bad or morally corrupt. So I think he's out of step with the new sort of um, uh, cadres in the party. And I, I don't know where it's all going to go. How many people at the table believe that Joe Biden will not run? I don't think he's going to run. I, I mean, I think there's a really good reason that he hasn't gotten in yet. And I have to agree with Chris. He's he is very much out of step with what everybody else in the field is saying. But I, I do have to give him this. Uh, maybe it was a week ago, a couple of weeks ago. He said, you know what? I'm the most progressive guy in terms of what I yeah. have done of anybody who is currently running on yeah. the Democratic side. And it's really hard to argue with that. Everybody else is talking. Joe Biden has walked the walk for a long time and been on the very progressive end of what used to be the normal Democratic Party. But if if some of the people uh, that describe themselves as independents and some of the people who describe themselves as Republicans have been turned off by Donald Trump's rhetoric and the, the allegations made against Donald Trump, which went through one campaign, mm-hmm. uh, to those people who were turned off by the personality of Donald Trump as it relates to his treatment of women, is that one uh, point that a opponent of Donald Trump can't make if that person's name is Joe Biden? Joe Biden can't talk about those issues. Oh, I think he can. Look, I, I, I really, think, I think he Joe Biden. Talk, I think he I will. Think, I think Joe Biden. Is, free advice worth exactly what you're paying. He is the yeah. strongest. If Democrats want to defeat Trump, they go with Biden. Because and then they put somebody like Kamala Harris or or I don't know some uh, somebody else on the ticket and Klobuchar who knows black but woman the, the, oh, okay fine I mean if you're into gender stereo or whatever you know quotas but my my point is <laughs> balance my point is <laughs> if people are going to leave a president 
who is, and notwithstanding all of the rhetoric, I'm sure we're going to get, there's relative peace out there, and there's obvious prosperity out there. And if you're going to get people to switch away from that, I think you need a trusted hand. And I think having a guy like Biden, who has been vice president and has been around a long time, people pretty much know what to expect, and I think they're going to be comfortable voting for him against Trump. Patrick. Yeah. I, the, I agree with Chris. I, I, the way I see it is it depends on what the Democrats decide to do. If they want to run a campaign saying that where our, our, our slogan is back to normalcy, back to normalcy. We've had, we've had at that point, it'll be four years of this roller coaster with Trump. Uh, if you want to get back to normalcy, there's no one more normal than Uncle Joe. Joe Biden is normalcy. He gets you back to to quiet days where we go entire weeks without thinking about the president. Uh, <laughs> Does anybody remember right. that? Does era? anyone remember that era? I right. remember that. Right. Yeah. So, so I agree with you. Joe is the guy. If our theme is normalcy, in my opinion, the problem is there's too many people in my party who have the view that that's not our theme and that our theme should be uh, revolution. Uh, and I don't mean that in a, a, a you know, bomb-throwing way. I mean, we're going to throw out all the old rules. We're going to bring in people who their qualification is they've never been in government before. Uh, and it's this notion of we've got to have our own revolution now to undo the Trump revolution. That's a, that's a theory in some parts of my party. And I don't like it, but that's where it will come down for Joe. If, if we decide to go run on normalcy, return to normalcy, Joe's our guy. If we don't, it's going to be somebody else. Okay. For the, for the uh, discussion, because only one person thought that Joe might not run, I would agree with you. I think there's a possibility that Joe Biden will not run. He, he may be – he would rather be remembered by history as a beloved vice president as opposed to a potential three-time loser for president. That's correct. That's, I believe that. But my question to you is if Joe Biden decides not to run – who amongst the current crop of candidates emerges as the safe, establishment, moderate Democrat standard bearer? Richard? Well, or, I mean, or, or not standard bearer because they'd have to win the nomination. Look, but let, takes that lane. Let, let, let me just say this that, um, I mean, from the current field of candidates, I mean, it seems like uh, Bernie Sanders is going to be that revolution guy. Yeah. The, the person who's going to, you know, Medicare for all and uh, big ideas uh, uh, to, to, to get us to the revolution that Patrick talked about. Uh, right. uh, but that's not going to get us to normalcy because I don't think we're going to have the money to pay for these things. Right. And so, quite frankly, I think you're going to have a big back and forth. And, you know, God knows if if he's going to be able to defeat Trump. He's not the best candidate to defeat no, Trump. But who, so. but who, be, who, who replaces Biden as the moderate? Yeah. Patrick? Is it Cor- Klobuchar? Cory Booker. Cory Booker. Booker. Cory Booker. You listen to what he says. You look at his record. He is not a revolutionary. He is a very intelligent, pragmatic guy who works with Republicans when he thinks it's appropriate, who goes out of his way not to demonize uh, opponents, uh, which puts him different than other people, uh, some of the other people in my party's uh, bus load of candidates. Uh, so uh, I, I, I think that if Joe isn't there, somebody like Cory Booker uh, could step up in a, a credible way and uh, take that mantle of, no, no, I believe in old-time politics where I can disagree with your judgment, but I never challenge your motives. 
Uh, let's hear from the Republicans. Do, do, I, do you agree that uh, it would be Booker? No, I, I don't think it would be Booker for a variety of reasons. But um, I, the, the person who I think is, is the most normal in the, on the Democratic side at this point who could sort of restore normalcy if she could get a push from the media would be Amy Kovacher. I, I found her very... Um, not crazy when we were going through the, the Kavanaugh hearings, and almost everybody else was. I mean, I didn't have to turn the sound off when she started talking because I thought I'd throw something through the TV. Uh, I found her to, uh, in other ways, to be very credible and very um, well-spoken. And, and uh, you know, she's not an old white guy. Uh, I, I think she comes from a very progressive state, I think she has a very progressive record. Um, Chris, do you I, agree with that? I think she could she could do a good job. Yeah, but tonight's the night that Veep is premiering in its last <laughs> season, and we now know for sure the, you know, we might not know about the Mueller investigation, but we know that Veep, certain scenes and vignettes were based on Amy Klobuchar yelling at the little people. So I'm not sure, if, I, I, she might not wear well. Um, I think that there, first of all, I want to disclose my bias. John Delaney is a personal friend, and his okay. wife was in our wedding, and I think John Delaney is a great guy. This mayor from South Bend. Buddha judge. The mayor from South Bend, <laughs> whose name cannot be pronounced. I wasn't prepared to be a caregiver to mom. I had no idea how hard it would be and what I would need to know. Things I never thought of, like how to improve her mood and ways for me to stay positive. Luckily, I found the Caregiving Resource Center from AARP. It had articles about the basics, but also information about the hurdles I was facing. Caregiving Resource Center at aarp.org slash caregiving. Articles, tips, and tools to help you both care for your loved one and care for yourself. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. When you went car shopping, you meant business. You ace vehicle history searches and test drives. You out-salesmen to the salesman. Now you've got your wheels. If you manage that, you can get your retirement plan on track. Visiting aceyourretirement.org can help. With 401k tips and smart saving strategies, you'll have the info you need to get more for your future. Go to aceyourretirement.org. Because when it comes to speeding past financial challenges, you're an ace. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. The basketball final four, Auburn, Michigan State, Texas Tech, and Virginia in our final four. We let them introduce themselves right now, and we begin with Richard Boykin. Thank you very much, Bruce Dumont. I'm a partner at Barnes & Thornburg, a former Cook County commissioner, and honored to be here. Judith Sherwin, making your maiden voyage on our broadcast. Yes, thank you very much. Uh, my name is Judy Sherwin. I am a partner at the law firm of Lewis, Brisbane, Biscard, and Smith. And this is my maiden voyage on this show. Um, so far, I, so good. So far, so good. I was a little surprised to be called a conservative. I used to be a Democrat, which is something yes, that know. Bruce a liberal, knows. A liberal Democrat. <laughs> yes. Very liberal Democrat. Yes. I feel like I, I haven't I, moved. I, but uh, do you find yourself, are you more of a Republican than a conservative? Probably more conservative than a Republican. Yes. So that's probably right. Well, I but I, I always feel like, like Reagan felt. The party left me. I didn't leave the party. <laughs> Patrick Cotter joins us. Hi. I'm Pat Cotter. I'm a uh, white-collar criminal defense attorney here in Chicago. I'm a former assistant United States attorney, strike force and organized crime attorney, and uh, I'm just a lawyer trying to make a living. Uh, 
Chris Roebling joins us. So by the way, we cut you off in mid-sentence. We, we, I don't think we've ever missed a commercial break, but we did the last Ouch. Time. I must be getting <laughs> Sorry old. Sorry about that. I must be getting old. But Go you ahead. don't look it. <laughs> everybody. Chris Roebling, great to be back on the program. Um, let's, let's talk a little bit more about, uh, about who might emerge in that. Because uh, this, this discussion of Cory Booker and, and who might run with whom and, and how things are divided, you were, sa- you were saying during the break uh, that you've heard good things from people that have observed Camilla uh, Harris for a long time. Yeah, uh, Hugh Hewitt, who is, I think, a, a noted constitutional attorney, former law professor and also radio talk show host who, who's really getting out there a lot, uh, and a conservative, uh, as the day is long, uh, in the Ronald Reagan mode, um, has been wa- he's from California and has been watching Kamala Harris move up uh, in the Democratic hierarchy and has been saying uh, on his radio program for a good year that she will be on the ticket. And he said, do, do not underestimate this lady. She knows what she is doing. She, her political acumen is tops, and uh, she's going to bring together many elements. And I think, I think that's... I, I think there's something out there that's the next chapter for the Democratic Party. I personally think that it's always like one or two elections from ceasing to be a national political activity. And I realize that not many people join me in that view. But I do look at Kamala Harris as having a certain amount of uh, charisma, but also a, a requisite amount of substance so that she can articulate a vision which is distinct from that of, say, Trump. Uh, Richard Boykin, do you obviously uh, Hillary Clinton did not get a huge turnout in the black community, which is one of the reasons why she was not uh, elected, certainly in the state of Michigan being one just one example. Um, does there need to be an African-American on the ticket to help drive turnout, either at the top of the ticket or would a vice presidential candidate uh, give the African-American community something they could get enthused about? Look, African-Americans are the most loyal uh, base of the Democratic Party every election. And so, quite frankly, I believe that uh, putting an African-American on the ticket, the right one, would be the right thing to do. And who would be the right one, in your view, at this moment in time? Uh, of the candidates that are running, I like Kamala Harris. I mean, right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, quite frankly, I think the field might grow a little Does bit. Does her, and it's been very publicized in California, her longtime friendship, relationship, whatever, however you want to describe it, uh, however intimately you want to describe it. Does her relationship with Willie Brown, the former speaker, is that going to be a moment in this campaign where her background is going to be out there for people to discuss and uh, we will be reviewing what she did uh, 20 years ago? Well, look, I think that uh, everybody's background is going to be fair game for the media. But quite frankly, I think that serving as the chief uh, a lawyer for the state of California. She did that, and she did it exceedingly well. Uh, she's How did been, she get that opportunity? Well, she's been tried and tested. She's been tried and tested. And so, quite frankly, I, I think all of that's going to be fair game. I tried and tested. Is that the way you would put it, Judy? I would not put it that way. What, <laughs> it, what it, way it, would you put it? I, well, look, I, I think she's been a political phenomenon. She probably, God, there's a million ways you could put this. All of them would be bad. She got a, an extra start in her political career, obviously, from this relationship that she had with Willie Brown. Everybody knows it. 
Uh, you know, will it come up in a big way in the campaign? Everybody knows it already. I mean, I don't know how much of a thing you can make about Not it. Not in the Democratic primary. No. Right. No. Should she be on the ticket then? Well, if she's, on, if she's on the ticket, there will be a problem. I mean, as we all know, because we don't live with a normal presidency and the president is in everybody's head all the time, every day, he won't let this, something like this go. You'll hear about it in a variety of ways, in a variety of very nasty and unpleasant ways. And it's, gonna, it's going to affect the votes of a lot of people who do not think that this is the way one ought to get ahead in life. Patrick Cutter, you're smiling. I am smiling. Uh, it, I, I, I don't know whether to be happy that the, the, the issue we're talking about that Kamala Harris may face is, is this, her relationship with uh, this gentleman 20 years ago. Uh, I, I don't know if that's progress. We're talking about an African-American woman so running for president. So. And I know I'm grateful that the issue we're talking about is her personal relationship. The fact of the matter is people get their starts in all sorts of businesses, including politics, through relationships. I think Richard's point is exactly the right one. And I can't imagine, I'm trying to imagine what that voter looks like who has no problem with Kamala Harris and would vote for her anyway because they love her. But, God, she had that relationship 20 years ago, and the first job she got, maybe she wasn't completely qualified. I, I, you know, I, people I, like, I, you know, Bobby Kennedy becoming attorney general because right. of his brother. I mean, th it's, it's a non-issue. It's not going to lose her a single vote. And I think a lot of women would be very offended by the notion that a woman who has done the job for over 20 years and, and done it brilliantly, as even you, you, it says, the idea that she would be challenged because of her relationship 20 years before is somehow suggesting that, well, because she's a woman, she might have slept her way I, into it. I, I, I think, think that would get her votes. I, th I, think what it, I think should we get to this point, uh, which is you know, still, what, 14 months away, 15 right. months away, um, if she ends up on the ticket uh, – Presumably, as the vice presidential candidate. Although, I, at this moment, if if Biden doesn't go, she could be the one. But uh, I think it would blunt some of the criticism of Trump for his sort of uh, uh, unmade bed background and dalliance. <laughs> unmade. Bed. That? Whatever you want to call it. I don't know what you... Well, how do you say any of this stuff? Why are we talking yeah. about all of this? Okay. Because I think that her... Frankly, I think that she gets, ends up going in the same... She's, she's maybe not as far left as Elizabeth Warren or Bernie, but she's pretty darn far left. And I, I think that's, that's going to... The, the solution for the Democrats is not going to be the color or the gender... It's going to be the substance, and if they are perceived as they, I think, are now because of their reaction to Mueller, who they were praising for two years, if they're perceived as hard left, I, I think they're outside the realm of can we pay for these projects? They're outside the realm of, you know, the, the, the values and the interests of the regular average American family and the voters thereof. When we come back, uh, this will be the next segment. We'll get into more about uh, the Mueller report. But I want to just button up one thing since we're talking about the Democrats. And I want to get from our Democrat response. What's the big deal about Beto O'Rourke? 
Are either of you excited? <laughs> are you are you worried about Beto O'Rourke? I mean, is he real? Is he phony? What is he? Either one of you. Richard. Look, I think he's real. I mean, I think he challenged the establishment in Texas and almost beat uh, the sitting senator there, Senator Cruz. Uh, and I think he excited a lot of young voters along the way. In fact, many people call him the the, the white version, if you will, of Barack Obama. And so, quite frankly, I think that um, we need to bring as many people in the Democratic Party as we can. And I think to have a Beto O'Rourke uh, going around and inspiring people and giving people hope is a good thing for the Democratic is he a Party. In your view, Patrick? Yes. Yes, he is. Uh, is there I, substance there, or is it all smoke I, and I mirrors? I think the substance is that he speaks for a generation that, that feels that it's, it's getting to be their time. I don't think it's his time. Uh, I don't see him going very far in the primaries. I think it's good he's there, though. I think he's igniting a lot of interest amongst young people who otherwise are turned off, who can't see themselves supporting more mainstream candidates. So I'm glad he's there. Uh, but do I think he's a phenom? Of course. Do I think he's, he's going to be there at the end? No, I don't. But I think it's a good thing that he's out there rallying people uh, to politics who otherwise might sit this one out. He's also interesting in that he's the only one in the field that I think at the moment that conceivably could put Texas in play. If the Democrats put Texas in play, I mean, this, this could be a huge multi-generational uh, win that maybe I don't think anybody else on that uh, in the Democratic field could really say that. He might do it. So you're bringing well, up immigration, illegal immigration. I'm bringing up. Bring, <laughs> the only way that they put the whole the only way is, Democrats. Is that, that he, that he, the, the, if he is the presidential candidate, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just I, saying I, he, there may be that spark. You know, it's, but it's at the, the end of the day, part. I mean, well, he put he put the Senate seat in play. Yes. But at the end of the day, he lost. All right. I mean, it, it, it is remarkable to me that the two people that everybody seems to be the most excited about are Beto O'Rourke, who lost to Ted Cruz, and, and Stacey Abrams, who lost to I don't even remember what his name is. Yeah. All right. So the governor of Georgia. Yeah, governor, governor of Georgia. <laughs> right. Got a pause so, or we're going to blow two breaks back to back. I'm Bruce Dumont. Don't go away. As an 18 year old. I let my mistakes kind of take over my life. I was 0.5 credits away from completing high school and I didn't do it. 10 years later, at age 28, Jackie finished her high school diploma. When I found out that I was pregnant, I know that I had to do something for myself if I wanted to make her a better person and provide a better life for her. My family never stopped pushing for me to be better because they knew what I could become and who I could become as a person. My support team is amazing. The educational director, my sister, and even my seven-year-old daughter has just been more than the support that I could ask for. I've been given an opportunity, and I'm just thankful for it. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Welcome back in Chicago. We're going to now talk about the Mueller report and the Bob Barr letter. And Patrick Cotter, uh, as a former member of the uh, Federal Justice Department, 
you have offered opinions on Robert Mueller and James Comey on this program for the last couple of years. What's your take on uh, at least the uh, version that we know of now from the Attorney General? Do you well, have questions? Do you have, obviously have a lot of questions, I would sure. assume. Yeah, we all do. I mean, everybody does. Uh, I, th- I think the Barr letter was exactly what it promised to be. It was uh, sort of key points. It w- I don't think it was meant to be even a, a comprehensive summary. He was, he was providing a quick response saying, here's some key points that I took from the letter. I think the biggest news out of the Barr letter was that Barr made a decision, that, that, that Mueller had said, look, we think obstruction of justice could go either way. Reasonable prosecutors could disagree about whether there's enough to go forward. And Barr said, well, in my role as attorney general, that's my call, and my call is it's not. It's not enough to go forward against a sitting president. So that was the big news. I think the summary is exactly what it is. It's a summary, but out of a 300-and-some-page report, obviously there's a a lot more interesting information. But, uh, you know, Barr, I thought thought his summary was fine because it did what it was – it purported to do. Judy, were you satisfied with the uh, Barr letter? I was. I was okay with the Barr letter. I, I was okay, certainly with the with the finding on on collusion. Uh, I thought it could not be clear. Um, obviously, the obstruction um, is a different issue. I think trying to read the tea leaves of what that was all about. I think that there, you know, you had 19 prosecutors looking at this thing. I think some of them really wanted to charge the president with obstruction. I think others really did not want to. Um, I don't think it was right that Mueller did not make the call, but he left it up to the attorney general. And the attorney general so very wisely... He whiffed. He whiffed. Can yes. I point out that well, that's, I, I, that's simply not accurate? He, well, he, he does not have the authority to make that call. Yes, it he is does. Always that up was to, his job. No, it was that not. That was his job. No. He made the call with collusion... Why didn't he make the may call I explain, May I explain something about the way the indictments happen in the United States Department of Justice? The Attorney General approves all indictments. Everybody has to, flows from that. The authority flows from him. Bob Mueller did not have the authority to approve any indictment. The most he could have done was make a recommendation. Which he did not if do. If I may, make a recommendation of an indictment. But that's the most he could have done. And that still would have been Bob Barr's call. So no matter what happened, Bob Barr would have made the call. All right, but if, if I could finish my sure. point. In, in coming to the decision that he came to, he didn't come to it by himself. He came to it with Rod Rosenstein, who is, I think we all know from the last two years of all the nonsense that's gone on, is not exactly a fan of the President of the United States. So if the two of them take a look at this and they both decide, you know what, there's no obstruction here. It all happened in public. There's no underlying crime there's just no intent. There's nothing here. Now, I know you're laughing. You think that's funny. It's not funny. It's not what they said. And the other important line, and the other important line in the letter, which I found very important, is that they did not make, Mueller did not make his judgment, whatever it was, on the basis of the constitutional issues. Mm-hmm. He took a look at the facts and said, you know, it's a close call. I'm not going to make a recommendation. I'm going to leave that to the attorney general and the deputy attorney general, who was his supervisor and knew all along what he was doing. Chris Roebling, I want to get uh, your take on this. Uh, Would you advise the president to stop saying that he has been exonerated? Because the letter from Bob Barr clearly states 
that they did not exonerate the president uh, on the issue of obstruction of justice. Uh, honestly, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't bother the president one way or the other on that issue. Because he and wouldn't listen. Because it, it, <laughs> well, that's, that's it's sure. what I refer to as the derivative non-issue. The, the, the real issue here is that, um, in my humble opinion, uh, now that we've gone through this horrid two-year national nightmare for no good reason, uh, we're going to have to sort out how we got here. And I believe that that is as important, or in fact, because we're talking now about potential abuse of prosecutorial discretion, of the FISA process, of the, uh, the, the in fact, Rosenstein's decision at the time of Comey's firing, we're talking about a series of things that go back into 2016 and Carter Page and Papadopoulos, and even possibly before. So we've got a lot of potential, very serious, very salient issues, and those must be, in my opinion, completely disclosed to the people. But are, th are, are those the type of things that you would put high on a list of the politically important things that need to be done? No, no, here's why, here's why. Let me just finish. Yeah. If the Republicans are making the point that there's too many Democratic committees that are wasting time going over well, fine-tooth comb for their own political purposes, could the Democrats or, to it, or could, could an independent say, enough with what happened in the campaign, we don't want to know that, enough with what happened to the FBI. That's the Republicans trying to get the Democrats to eat dirt. In, in, in my opinion, what we are talking about here is the integrity of our federal law enforcement agencies and intelligence agencies that makes it significant but the reason that it doesn't have to be the front burner issue for republicans is because the united states department of justice inspector general is currently in on this and we've got a not maybe not a special prosecutor but we've got the idaho u.s attorney looking at all of this so internally we're moving towards some process there okay, when we come back and it'll be in the next hour i want to hear patrick cotter's response to that i'm bruce dumont don't go away another full hour of beyond the beltway coming up This is Josh Groban. After so many years on the stage, one of my favorite things about music is its ability to inspire and nourish the soul. That's why I'm proud to work with Feeding America, an organization that inspires hope for families in need and helps nourish the 16 million kids in this country struggling with hunger. Every year, billions of pounds of excess food go to waste, while one in five children may be left not knowing where their next meal is coming from or if it's even coming at all. Thankfully, the Feeding America nationwide network of food banks 
collects surplus food and helps deliver it to kids in need across the country. But they can't do it alone. Join me in supporting Feeding America and your local food bank at feedingamerica.org. Together, we can solve hunger. Together, we're Feeding America. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. A historic moment from the archives at museum.tv. There can be no stable and enduring peace without the participation of the People's Republic of China and its 750 million people. That is why I have undertaken initiatives in several areas to open the door for more normal relations between our two countries. Experience more history at museum.tv. It only takes a minute to find out if you may have prediabetes. And you can do it at doihaveprediabetes.org. But you're probably not going to. Nope. I'm sure you've got a perfectly good excuse. Kids, work. <laughs> I get it. You're busy. So what better time than now? Let's begin. Raise one finger if you're a man. Ladies, none yet. Oh, count in your head if you're driving. Now, three more fingers for everyone over 60, two over 50, one over 40, one more if you're not physically active, another finger if anyone in your family has type 2 diabetes, another if you've got high blood pressure, if you're overweight, raise another finger, two if you're very overweight, and three if you're really overweight. You've just taken the world's first audio prediabetes test. And if you're holding up five or more fingers, visit doihaveprediabetes.org or talk to your doctor. There's no excuse because prediabetes can be reversed. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. We continue with our number two of Beyond the Beltway, wherever you're listening from coast to coast and border to border or watching us on YouTube or on uh, the Facebook uh, pay, uh, Live. Uh, nice to have you with us this evening. Uh, before the break, uh, Chris Roebling was making a point that uh, uh, there should be further investigation uh, into the actions of some Democrats and some, some of the skullduggery that he alleges. Uh, Patrick Cotter, you spent uh, many years in the U.S. Justice Department. Uh, you are a Democrat. Uh, what's your response to uh, Chris's point that uh, if someone broke the law, uh, it doesn't make any difference when it was, if there's a, you know, as long as there isn't a statute of limitation? Uh, follow the evidence and, and uh, file charges against someone. Do you agree with that? Yeah, um, of course. You know, I, I, and I, I love puppies and, and America and apple pie, but that's not really the issue. Um, what the issue is is that the Mueller report is over, and what it found, and if you read Barr's letter, it says this. It says, we did not find sufficient evidence to bring criminal charges for conspiracy, nor did we find sufficient evidence to bring, in our judgment, charges of obstruction of justice. I am very troubled by the notion that when an investigation does not result in criminal charges, for what I take and, at this point, am willing to believe are good reasons, uh, the first cry we hear is that everybody who had anything to do with the investigation is now somehow suspect and that they should be gone after. And if they are... If we are in that place now where you bring an investigation, it was clearly not a witch hunt. Barr's letter makes that very clear. Uh, there was real evidence there to be looked at, and it was a very close call. And there's a big difference between saying somebody didn't do anything at all and there was nothing to look at 
and saying that there's not sufficient evidence to bring a uh, criminal prosecution. But if we are now at a place where we are seriously talking about starting congressional investigations where we go after anybody we can identify who may have been instrumental in bringing that investigation or leading to the investigation, I'm very troubled by that. And not just because I'm a former federal prosecutor, no, but, I, but I would be troubled by it if I was a federal prosecutor today and I lived in a country where if I do an investigation and I don't indict somebody, I'm going to be investigated. Yep. <clears throat> I think Patrick's point is inapposite because nobody's talking about going after either Mueller or the 19 activist Democrat attorneys that he hired, <laughs> many of whom of were, uh, were hired, uh, were, were people who had been working directly for the Clintons or people who had contributed to her campaign or to other Democratic campaigns or people who had, you know, histories of attacking Trump and Republicans and everything else. So in that sense, I'm going to take the Mueller document as illustrative of a, a, a pretty serious uh, uh, investigative effort that found exactly what President Trump and others have said from the beginning it would find, and that is notwithstanding your uh, distinctions. And I think you're overstating uh, the we, neither of us have a copy of the bar letter with us we could look it up on but the point here is we're not talking about Mueller and the people who did the investigating what we are talking about are the obvious irregularities with respect to the original FISA filing with respect to the dossier with respect to targeting Papadopoulos who is by any presidential campaign standard a total nobody or with respect to targeting the uh, now, the if, other individual. If you just focused on, on just, you, you're narrowing your investigation. Let's hear from our Democrats. Is, is that something that needs to be looked at? The, the, the origins of the FISA request and uh, the Steele dossier? I think that at this point the American people are ready to move on beyond the Mueller report. Look, we got to make sure another that another half uh, of America was ready to move on two years ago. But what we have to make sure, and and the president said it in his uh, State of the Union, I think, yeah. that we got to be careful of revenge politics. That we just can't go after people and, and that sort of thing. One of the things I'll say is this: the Russians tried to influence our elections. I think everybody agrees with that. Facebook, social media, all of that. We got to figure out how do we make sure that our elections are free and clear for 2020. And that, you know, foreign entities aren't influencing our elections. Look, if somebody broke the law, then, of course, they ought to be held to account for it. Because the law is important. That's why we have it. I want to ask a follow-up to, to, and then I want to go to Judy. For the last year and a half on this program, uh, we have had numerous conversations, some with some of the people around the table, about the makeup of the Mueller team, uh, that it was too partisan. Uh, including yours truly, okay? Uh, okay. <clears throat> that was put out there in the court of public opinion. Mm -hmm. I think the court of public opinion has rendered a verdict that the Republican perspective was probably viewed by a lot of people. Okay, the report's now in. Those people didn't do what you thought they were going to do. They did not offer well, no, evidence. No, no, no. No, they did not offer ev evidence on collusion. And there was at least a split decision on whether or not there should be. Why, why are people, Bruce? Why did people? Why did people go to Paul Manafort's home at four o'clock, five thirty in the morning, with guns drawn, sticking guns into the face of a wife, 
This is a nonviolent offender whose attorney had been cooperating. The same is true of Roger Stone. There were there were the Andrew Weissman brutal tactics were are replete. They are spread upon the public record of this sorry but chapter isn't in that American history. Standard operating procedure. No, it's not. For no, it's not. No, it's not. No, it's not. Absolutely not. All right, let's yeah, ask. Let, let, let's 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 actually. Let's talk You're about what happens. With the mafia, maybe. No, I'm a white collar criminal defense attorney. I have been for 20 years. I've had many clients woken up in the morning by FBI agents with guns, and they were there investigating health care fraud, and they were there investigating pharmaceutical uh, violations. Um, so that's that's kind of, in my opinion, with all due respect, it's a red herring. Um, as far as um, the Mueller team. Let's remember who picked the Mueller team. Bob Mueller. Who's Bob Mueller? Lifelong Republican, Marine, uh, lifelong DOJ public servant. Um, the idea that Bob establishment. Mueller... Establishment. Establishment as... Capital R establishment as you can get. And the idea that Bob Mueller is so stupid or naive that he would have picked a bunch of partisan hacks uh, is, is ludicrous. And that's the suggestion. And you got to make up your mind. you got to make up your mind. Either the Mueller team was a bunch of partisan hacks out to hang the president, or they came out with a report that said there was insufficient evidence to prosecute him for a crime. You can't have it both ways. Right. That was the essence of my question. Judy, okay. well, what's your I, response? I don't think I, – I think you can have it both ways in the sense that, well, you know, you can laugh. They I, I came – they came to – well, I'm glad you think it's funny. They came to two conclusions. Okay. So – Coming here today, I decided I would bring the copy of the bar letter with me, and if you will permit me, I will read a little bit from it, okay. where it says the report this – is, this is talking about Russian interference. Right. The report further explains that a primary consideration for the special counsel's investigation was whether any Americans, including individuals associated with the Trump campaign, joined the Russian conspiracy to influence the election. Um, which would be a federal crime. The special counsel's investigation did not find the Trump campaign or anyone associated with it conspired to coordinate it. As the report says, the investigation did not establish that members of the Trump campaign conspired or coordinated. You can't get any clearer than that. Hold it. Hold it. We'll be back in Chicago. They'll challenge your authority. They'll try to break your will. They'll push you to the edge of your sanity. Because that's what kids do. But this car is your territory, not theirs. Defend it. Who makes the payments? Who cleans it? Who drives it? You do. That's who. And in here, your word is law. So when you say you won't move until everyone's buckled up, you won't budge an inch until you hear that click. Never give up until they buckle up. A message from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. For more information, visit safercar.gov slash kidsbuckleup. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. Let's go to calls. Let's go to Scott listening to us in... 
Austin, Texas, on KLBJ. Go ahead. Hey, how are y'all doing? Okay, just, how are you? We're having a great time. Take, <laughs> yes, right on. Isn't the whole country? Um, I just wanted to take issue with the statements about Republicans and, and people uh, perhaps accusing Mueller of picking partisan uh, you know, investigators to, mm-hmm. to go after Trump. It, I think that Mueller could have definitely picked partisans when you look at some of the people and, uh, and the way that they have, have uh, put money into politics, and, and then you look at Weissman. Uh, if the evidence wasn't there, they can't indict him. So, he, yes, Republicans can have it both ways. He could have picked partisans, and if the evidence, evidence isn't there, they can't indict. So, Look, I it's not us. Think- it's not the Republicans who have gone and told the IG of the Department of Justice to investigate what was happening at the FBI. That's not uh, the IG at the Department of Justice happens to be, Patrick, a lifelong Democrat. Okay, and I think every American should have faith in what he did last spring. And we're all going to look very closely at what he does on these issues that I have raised. I don't even know where this uh, U.S. attorney from Idaho came from. I don't know where he is on the political spectrum. Nobody knows anything. I believe he is also a Democrat, okay? And he has been placed in charge of ferreting out what might be uh, criminal here. And and I'm prepared to go with that, but we also know that Lindsey Graham is going to hold hearings. Go ahead, Scott. Last word to you. Uh, um, I I just wanted to say, imagine imagine these investigators, Mueller and the investigative team that he put together, imagine what they're seeing in there there might be a, a chance that they don't want to have anything to do with with what the uh what we're going to find out here in the next couple of months about this this whole thing um he's not saying anything he's not saying that Barr is misinterpreting him uh you don't hear a, a peep coming out of that end uh there's a chance that they they want to get as far away from it as they can does everybody agree That's, with that everybody's think- nodding their head Okay, we move on. Scott, thanks very much for your call. Right on. Thank you all. Let's, I, I want to switch gears and talk about another uh, hot potato, which has gotten national exposure, and that is the decision by the Cook County State's Attorney, Kim Fox, uh, in Chicago, uh, to drop all 16 charges against Jesse Smollett uh, for alleging that he was the victim of a hate crime involving people who were alleged supporters of Donald Trump. Um, uh, let me start with you, or Richard. Um, did Kim Fox make a significant mistake here? Look, I, uh, I'm not a prosecutor, but as an American citizen and as a taxpayer in Chicago, I am outraged. I'm outraged because of all the time that the police put into investigating this matter and because they brought 16 counts against him, the state's attorney did, And quite frankly, she recused herself in the beginning because she was having conversations with the family members and with Tina Chen, who used to be uh, uh, chief of staff to Michelle Obama. Mm -hmm. That's a no-no, too. She shouldn't have been doing that. She showed bad judgment here. Uh, To let him go with a $10,000 bail or bond that he had posted and not even apologizing for, for this matter, and then she undercut her first assistant when she said that the case had holes in it and they didn't think that they could prosecute him. This is unbelievable to me. It's unreal. And and quite frankly, 
her office should be investigated around this. She should be investigated uh, by an outside entity and figure out what went wrong here and, 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 and why are the taxpayers of the city of Chicago uh, smacked in the face by this. Patrick Cotta, you're a defense attorney, have been for the you know, for last 20-plus years. Uh, what's your response to the state's attorney of Cook County and uh, how she handled the Jesse Smollett case? I think the fix was in. This is a deal. It was a dishonorable, corrupt deal. I don't – anybody associated with it should be investigated by anybody that was – is neutral and able to do it, like the FBI or Department of Justice, it's outrageous. It is not what happens to poor people in Cook County. It is not what happens uh, to most people in Cook County. It's completely indefensible, and her explanations keep shifting. Uh, first she recused herself, then, well, she wasn't 100% recused, maybe a little bit, uh, you know. Um, it, it's outrageous. She, I think, has disqualified herself from ever holding public office again. But wow. I don't have a strong yeah. feeling about it. <laughs> yeah. you, uh, now let's go to the Republican side yeah. of the table. Yeah. Again, uh, we've not had a Republican state's attorney in Cook County for many, many years. But, uh, Judy, your response? Well, first Would of all. Would you like to run? <laughs> Can we get you in? No, I don't think so. Run. I don't think so. But I would, hope, I would hope if I ran and I got elected, I would have comported myself a little better than <laughs> Kim Fox did. That I'll tell you. I mean, this this is it's it is outrageous. I wish somebody could could bring back Mike Royko. I'd love to read what he'd have to say about this. Um, you know, Chicago ain't ready for reform. I mean, we don't have a bad enough reputation in the world. We have to have this now. Um, she I, she did not recuse herself. She even said, "Well, I just did that for the benefit of people in the public thinking I recused myself," when in fact she really didn't. I mean, that is completely outrageous, um, and she, she really didn't recuse herself. She she controlled that whole thing. You know, when I first became a lawyer, quick story, uh, I came back from court one day, and I had been in court on some really innocuous matter at least not really all that important, but the opposing party had brought with them some lawyer who was a Democratic politician of some kind. And the guy came to court. He never said a word, just stood there. And, and of course, I lost. And I came back to the office. I was a baby lawyer, maybe two years away from the bar, and I told this to my partner, and I said, I don't understand what happened. And I know he was there, but he never even said anything. And he said to me, you know what, when certain people appear, you don't have to tell the judge what to do, okay? Once, once Kim, started, Kim Fox started speaking with Michelle Obama's former chief of staff, she knew exactly what she was supposed to do, and the fix was definitely in, and she carried it through, and that's why, you know, we again look like a laughingstock. And I do hope that the FBI investigates this and comes up with something. Chris Roebling. Well, I, I think as a Republican, I've got to say this is where the party has to rebuild and this is where the party has failed because we should have had one of, you know, we, any number of uh, extraordinarily accomplished and competent and, and uh, honest uh, and effective attorneys on our side. I'm sitting next to one right now, Judith Sherwin, but there are many more. And we were unable to get anybody on the line, you know, I, or maybe we had some Bozo the Clown on the line. I forget exactly. But I think everybody in Cook County, with all respect to both 
Kim Fox and Tony Preckwinkle knew at the time that Anita Alvarez got on the wrong side of, um, let's just say, she black the former lives. state's attorney. Right. Right. But when there was a political opportunity for someone to wrest that office from its incumbent, who was at the time Anita Alvarez, uh, I think everybody understood that Kim Fox was an unqualified individual who had never been a prosecutor, unlike, unlike Patrick Cotter. And she had not really been to court. Somebody had mentioned Robert F. Kennedy earlier. He was a very capable guy, but he had never been to court. And she was a political cat's paw in the vast and very complex internecine wars of Cook County administration. Mm -hmm. And she was going there from Tony Preckwinkle to neutralize a certain center in the whole county complex where you've got the sheriff, you've got the jail, you've got the courts, you've got the chief judge, you've got the circuit court, you've got the state's attorney's office. And she was there just to do political bidding with no professional distinction for the job at all. And that's bad on, on their side, and they have to wear the jacket for that. It's bad on the Republican side that we didn't have a sharp-as-attack attorney to take that job from her when when big stories break uh that have some political motivation to them at least potentially i always ask myself why did this story break now this story broke last week next tuesday is election day in chicago one of those running for mayor is the mentor to kim fox the person that put kim fox in the office so if the state's attorney's office was going to do what they did and basically, you know, let Jesse Smollett off, why could that not have waited another week? week? This is a huge story. They're talking about this on national television and radio. That's one of the reasons why we're talking about it tonight, because Jesse Smollett and what happened in Chicago, I would dare say to many people listening, that's probably more exciting than... than than, than Bill Barr and, and, uh, and, and, <laughs> and the personnel policies and the of Bob Mueller. Right. Bob Mueller. I think because, absolutely. Because everybody can sort of relate to this. They saw it all unfold before them. Uh, and so I'm going to just ask anybody, does anybody want to speculate as to why did it come out now? Patrick? Well, I, I, I love your theory, but it, it, I don't think it's a good theory. It, it came out now because that's when Kim Fox decided to do it. She did it in court. That's why the story broke the second she did it. Now, I will point Speaking out if she been deaf. Right. If I she, mean, I, mean okay. I look, I respect So you people don't think who are, she ever talked to Tony Preckwinkle? Oh, no, no, this. no, no. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is it came out because she did it. What she should have done, if she was going to do it, is she should have just gone in and do what happens every day in court, get a continuance, do nothing, wait until the election's over, oh, right. and then give away the store. But for some reason, God only knows... She decided to do it a week before the election. We don't know, and uh, when we come back, there's more to the story of corruption in Chicago. It does have (laughs) national implications. We'll spend a few minutes talking about it and roll on with phone calls. From Chicago, I'm Bruce Dumas. I wasn't prepared to be a caregiver to mom. I had no idea how hard it would be and what I would need to know. Things I never thought of, like how to improve her mood and ways for me to stay positive. Luckily, I found the Caregiving Resource Center from AARP. 
It had articles about the basics, but also information about the hurdles I was facing. Caregiving Resource Center at aarp.org caregiving. Articles, tips, and tools to help you both care for your loved one and care for yourself. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. When you went car shopping, you meant business. You ace vehicle history searches and test drives. You out salesmen to the salesman. Now you've got your wheels. If you manage that, you can get your retirement plan on track. Visiting aceyourretirement.org can help. With 401k tips and smart saving strategies, you'll have the info you need to get more for your future. Go to aceyourretirement.org because when it comes to speeding past financial challenges, you're an ace. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Dumont back in Chicago. Thank you all for joining us uh, around the table this evening. We've got a great uh, panel around the red table. And uh, by the way, this is the only national show that really does its show from a round table. Every other show. (laughs) This is a real live. Everybody can see it. It's a red round table for those watching us on TV. Um, Let me go back to something else. Again, it's becoming a national story. It spins out of the the Jesse Smollett case and uh, Kim Fox's, uh, you know, uh, treatment of it. Um, Rahm Emanuel, who only has a couple of weeks left to go uh, as mayor of Chicago, he seems to want to go out in a blaze of glory, (laughs) going after Jesse Smollett, going after Kim Fox to become a national... I mean, he's being praised on Fox News because of what he's saying. What does everybody make of Rahm Emanuel's response to this? We'll start with Judy. Uh, I mean, when I heard him on on television the other day, I thought he was Tucker Carlson. I couldn't (laughs) believe it. I couldn't believe it. And, And, I mean... You know, I remember the press conference where they announced the charges, you know, and Eddie Johnson was so aggravated. And I, I kind of remember thinking to myself, gee, I wish you wouldn't do that. You're giving the defense a great argument in court about, you know, uh, prejudging the case and all of that. But, I mean, these guys were really upset. And, I mean, I think... I will say this, if he were running for mayor, I'm not sure he would have come out that way. Right. Uh, you would have heard his usual language probably behind the scenes, and none yes. of us would have ever heard it. You would have pulled a Laquan McDonald, perhaps. Right, right. But, but in this case... Richard Boykin, what's your, what's your take on, on the mayor's response to this? This is, this is a big story for him. Look, I think Mayor Emanuel, Superintendent Johnson are channeling what citizens of Chicago really feel. Absolutely. And quite frankly, we feel outraged by it. We feel like we've been smacked in the face. And quite frankly, she did this during a police graduation oh. and, and, didn't even, and didn't even tip off or give Superintendent Johnson a heads up. Right. He heard about it during the graduation. So, I mean, you got to work with police. Police and prosecutors work hand in glove. Chris, you were not a fan of the mayors, but... Uh are you on the side here? Wait a minute. I, I do want to say the first time he ran for re-election, I said many good things about him, and I made a point of doing that because he was so concerned about getting jobs to Chicago. Uh, I, I think that he is channeling. Uh, I, I think he's speaking up, and I think there's always freedom at the end of a term. Yeah. He's been in eight <laughs> right. years. Right. He can say whatever the heck he wants, right. and I think he is genuinely upset. And he has been the and victim of a state's attorney who didn't act wisely, you know, uh-huh. uh, Well, that's... Certainly some people think that. And I think that he and Eddie Johnson are – it's impossible for them as human beings and as parents, et cetera, not to feel some frustration after the years that they have put in and the intractability of the 
uh, violence situation, the gun situation in the city of Chicago, the deaths of innocents. Uh, Pat Cotter, your response. Well, I, I think it's all been said very well. Uh, I, I would just add that uh, I think if people around the country don't understand the anger of Chicago citizens or uh, the police chief or the mayor, you have to remember we have a very bad crime problem here in certain parts of our community. And the idea that dozens of our best detectives were, were taken away from, from solving real crimes and trying to get real criminals off the street for weeks while this actor, allegedly, uh, told this lie, and that not only does he get away with it, but he is allowed, because of our state's attorney, to go out and for the rest of his life say he's innocent and, and he's exonerated and, and he's running around the world saying it. It is the anger is not about so much Jesse Smollett as it is about the situation we have here and how a distraction like this literally could have cost lives. We'll never know. Right. We'll never know what criminals weren't caught because the detectives who would have caught them were out running around trying to find people that didn't exist. And we do not know how many victims of hate crimes in the future will also have been affected by this. They want to come out and make a report. And again, Jesse Smollett, given his position uh, uh, as a leader within the gay community, or at least an, a, a spokesman within the gay community, uh, that's affected a lot of people as well. So this is, this hundred, and by the way, the city of Chicago has sent Jesse Smollett's uh, lawyers a bill for $130,000 to deal with police overtime. But that $130,000 is literally, it's a pittance compared to the other issues of, of reputation that the city of Chicago well, and he faces and, and he, uh, as Patrick said uh, you know uh, you know lives could be affected by this. and he still faces potential criminal liability from the US Department of Justice yes. on the issue of mail fraud yes right. so right. we'll see where that goes Quite hey, right. Right. hey right. Bruce and yes. and the judge sealed the record yeah, yeah. Oh, that's, right. that's that's the I mean good can enough. I tell you as yes. somebody that has had to go into <laughs> courts for years and try to seal records it you have to wait happen. two years right. usually you have to file forms it, it is there was a whole process the idea that this was sealed within seconds without any explanation on the record right. no it's, explanation on the record well, it is outrageous she, but then she backtracked and said it's not been sealed <laughs> At, no, I mean, that happened like in the next five minutes. With, with respect, she said, I, it's not destroyed. It's not destroyed. It's sealed, oh. but it exists well, somewhere. And, well, and, 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 and as I, long as we're at this point, let's just notice that she did this on an emergency motion. It wasn't regular order, right. and there was no disclosure to the press, and she was trying and to was sneak the it emergency? through. What's the emergency? Right, right. Did, she, did she, in your, and by the way, we should mention there's a very close relationship between Kim Fox. And Kamala and, Harris. And, and, <laughs> and Kamala well, Harris. That's a different one, but right. I'm talking about the relationship well, that's with Tony Preckwinkle. Right. Right. Uh, who was running for mayor of the city of Chicago and the former president of the Cook County Board. Who at the moment is is running way behind, if you believe the polls? But does anybody believe that Kim Fox did not give a heads up to Tony Preckwinkle about this move? I do not believe. I that. do not believe it either. I don't either. No, Richard. No, I mean, quite frankly, uh, Tony Preckwinkle runs that office. She knows everything that happens in the state's attorney's office. Well, and, and she's the, pretty the, tone deaf in, if she thought this was okay. In Royko's I mean, words, I right. would say right. Tony runs Kim. Right. Yes, yeah. that's right. That Mike would say, Tony runs her. Right. So, so let me <laughs> summarize. Kim Fox, in her mind, believes that she may have done right. We, we, we can't dismiss that she may really believe that. 
but she did this because she thought this would help Tony Preckwinkle. She wouldn't do anything that she didn't think would help Tony Preckwinkle. Then both Does everybody agree with that? Then they're yes. both toned up. I can't even imagine how she could have... Let me uh, offer a suggestion to you, Richard Boykin. One of the things that's happening is we have two African-American women running for mayor. Uh, Tony Preckwinkle represents the South Side. She won a couple of awards in the runoff. Uh, Willie Wilson run, won 14 wards. He was African-American, was a guest on this program. And uh, Lori Lightfoot won some North Side wards, and she ran second in many of the wards. Could the, And again, this follows sort of what Jesse Jackson had to say to Rainbow Push yesterday, which is sort of shaking uh, things up. That He's the only one that said protective things about Kim Fox. Could this be a move to rally and rile up the black community because Kim Fox and Tony Prankwinkel knew that the entire white community and many in the black community were going to be irate about this decision, and this is a not-so-subtle uh, way of, of turning out the black vote come Tuesday. Look, I think that For the who? black vote will determine uh, who or will Tony. be the mayor Tony. of the city. I think, that, I think that the black vote will determine who will be the mayor. We know that there's going to be the first African-American female mayor of our city. But I think it's, it's short-sighted and it's amateur hourish, if you will, for her to do this because it's backfired. African-Americans are like white Americans in the city, quite frankly, outraged by this. We believe in the rule of law. Mm-hmm. We believe that uh, justice ought to prevail and that there shouldn't be a deal, there shouldn't be a fixed based on whose relationship you have or based on the amount of money that you have. We've seen too much of that. It undermines the law and it undermines the police. We need to make sure that the police, uh, they're out there working hard day and night trying to solve these cases. I believe they got this one right, and she undercut that. And so what will that do next time when a police officer says, you know what, I'm not going to go out there and, and, and bust my behind to get to figure out this crime because we got a state's attorney who's not concerned about prosecuting and standing up and being the prosecutor for the people. But Lori Lightfoot, being a, a, a former federal prosecutor, she has been uh, attacked uh, verbally by some African-American leaders, including Chance the Rapper, and uh, uh, Bobby Rush, Congressman Rush, that somehow because she was a federal prosecutor, uh, she is bending over backwards to support the police and that her actions uh, will be, uh, will be uh, hurtful to young African-Americans I, I think in that's, the criminal I, justice I, I, system. I think that's, that's what, that's what that's the politics, said. That's politics. But I, and I think that I, I, but is the purpose to rile up the black vote for turnout. That's yes, my question. But how does this rile up? Well, and, and part of the gay community. And part of the gay community. Be- because people around the country might not know this, but one of our candidates is um, in a gay relationship. Yeah. And then the other one, Tony Preckwinkle, is not. And <laughs> maybe they were thinking, maybe Kim Fox thought, well, I'm doing a favor for the 46th uh, Ward. 
Well, let me say I this, mean, Bruce. Which is the, sort of an epicenter of the gay community. In We've got to pause. Uh, I want to get your reaction. We've got one more segment to go. I'm Bruce Dumont. Don't go away. As an 18-year-old, I let my mistakes kind of take over my life. I was 0.5 credits away from completing high school, and I didn't do it. Ten years later, at age 28, Jackie finished her high school diploma. When I found out that I was pregnant, I know that I had to do something for myself if I wanted to make her a better person and provide a better life for her. My family never stopped pushing for me to be better because they knew what I could become and who I could become as a person. My support team is amazing. The educational director, my sister, and even my seven-year-old daughter has just been more than the support that I could ask for. I've been given an opportunity, and I'm just thankful for it. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. And uh, uh, Richard, you wanted to make some some further points about uh, the the rhetoric. Because for those around the country, Bobby Rush, who was a longtime member of Congress uh, and a former leader of the Black Panther Party many, many years ago, uh, he recently gave a, a fire and brim, brimstone speech in which he basically said that any African-American who voted for Lori Lightfoot in this campaign for mayor would have blood on their hands and be responsible uh, when the next African-American was shot and killed by Chicago police. It got a lot of reaction. Uh, Tony Preckwinkle, who has been endorsed by Bobby Rush, has been asked repeatedly in debates whether she would condemn those comments which have been described uh, as inflammatory by many people. She has refused to do that. But again, give me your insight into what was said and and the goal of of that rhetoric. Look, I I think the language uh, that has been used, not just only by Congressman Bobby Rush, but by Tony Preckwinkle herself and other surrogates has been hurtful and very much unfortunate. I mean, this this whole campaign uh, since February 26th, President Preckwinkle has been in attack mode trying to demonize, denigrate uh, Lori Lightfoot. Quite frankly, um, I don't think it's going to work. I think that the voters are smart enough, even in the African-American community, to see right through this. And, uh, you know, people want folks to talk about the issues, talk about how they're going to make their lives better. And so this election really represents, in my mind, history, hope, and change, a break away from the Chicago way and the machine way of doing things. How bad was that rhetoric in your view, Patrick Cotter? I thought it's about as bad as I've ever heard an American politician speak. And just to add to what you said, Bruce, he said any voter, any voter who supported Lori Lightfoot would have blood on their hands the next time a young African-American was killed by the police. That is a 
absolutely horrific thing to say about anybody, and it is completely unjustified to say it about Lori Lightfoot. Chris Roebling. You know what, Bruce? You and I are old enough, not that we've aged, yeah. but <laughs> we recall John McDermott. Yes. And we recall conduct. Right. And we recall the concern in the city of Chicago about rhetoric after the 1983 mayoral race right. in which we had a sort of a hapless Republican, a very good guy, a nice guy, smart guy, named Bernie Epton, who ended up in the race of a lifetime against Harold Washington. So you had one guy on the beach versus this tidal wave, and uh, a lot of elements that were disaffected from the Democratic primary came over to back him and used his campaign as a platform to right. spew a lot of racial rhetoric. Yes. Uh, and, and, and. There's a lot more to the story. But John McDermott was a uh, civil rights advocate here in Chicago, and he started a thing for the 87 campaign called Conduct, which I can't remember exactly, Committee on Non, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. And we still need it. Mm-hmm. McDermott is long gone, sadly. Right. Great guy. He's gone. But, you know, Bobby Rush, who's I've had a good relationship with over the he went too far. And he did the same. Bobby Rush did the same thing for Harold Washington. Yes. 25, 30 years ago. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and I think you and I may have been there that night. Yes. <laughs> and, and it is- his, whole, his whole purpose was, was to rev up uh, a black base based on anger. It's sad. Which, which drove a turnout. And I'm, that, that's the question. You know, again, when, you're, when we're looking at polls, and the most recent polls suggested uh, that Lori Lightfoot might be ahead by, you know, uh, 30 points. Uh, there's about, I think there's about 25 points, a percent undecided at this moment. Uh, Preckwinkle only had 17 percent. But it is, it is almost inevitable now that in Chicago most people think that Lori Lightfoot is going to be elected on Tuesday. But if her voters, who are maybe more uh, inexperienced uh, and volunteers, uh, the people that voted for her have got to turn out again. Uh, next Tuesday, and a lot more people have got to turn out. And, and what is opposite that is a, the chairman of the Cook County Democratic Party, who has many ward committeemen and aldermen uh, working for her. They're professionals. They know how to turn out the vote. And so if, if you have a lackadaisical or, or a, just you know, a, you know, a laissez-faire attitude uh, on the Lightfoot people, and you have the Democratic Party fighting for its party leader, uh, there could be a mismatch on Election Day. And that's, what, that's what's keeping me from suggesting that Lori Lightfoot would be, uh, is, is a, has a lock on what's happening. I certainly think, and by the way, I've not made any statement about this, so I'm going to make it now. In my opinion, Lori Lightfoot would be a great mayor for the city of Chicago. She is going to bring a level of reform to this city that this city has never, ever had. That's the only time I've ever made an endorsement in a race for mayor. But again, don't count your chickens before they hatch. I think, um, you know, this this situation that happened with Kim Fox, people know, uh, as, as uh, we, I think we talked during the break, that, that Tony runs Kim. Right. right. So people know that. And, and I think people, I mean, look at us. We don't agree on much of anything, 
but we all agree that this is one of the most outrageous things, corrupt-wise, for the city, for for all of us that we have ever seen. I think this is going to energize the Lightfoot people who may have been somewhat lackadaisical, and, and they're pretty well organized. I think they'll come out, and I think they'll vote. It, it's probably no. going to be a lot closer than anybody right. thinks. Well, I think it's going to be. I think this is if this is important for the for the voters to do something that Tony Prankwinkle has not done, and that's to uh, repudiate the actions and words of uh, uh, Congressman Rush. Our thanks to uh, Richard Boykin, Patrick Cotter, Judith Sherwin on your first visit. Thanks very much. Thank you. And Chris Roebling. Our thanks also to Aaron Johnson and Sam Greenberg and Fritz Goldman for their assistance in the production of this program. I'm Bruce Dumont. Good night from Chicago. The Museum of Broadcast Communications is Chicago's perfect place for senior citizens. Enjoy a stroll down memory lane, reminisce as museum artifacts, photos, and classic TV shows trigger recollections from your childhood. Enjoy the TLC you'll receive from our expert tour guides. Discounts for groups of 20 or more. Schedule yours right now at museum.tv or call 312-245-8200. Plan your fun trip now at the Museum of Broadcast Communications. Hey everybody, this is Josh Groban. After so many years on the stage, one of my favorite things about music is its ability to inspire and nourish the soul. That's why I'm proud to work with Feeding America, an organization that inspires hope for families in need and helps nourish the 16 million kids in this country struggling with hunger. Every year, billions of pounds of excess food go to waste, while one in five children may be left not knowing where their next meal is coming from, or if it's even coming at all. Thankfully, the Feeding America nationwide network of food banks collects surplus food and helps deliver it to kids in need across the country. But they can't do it alone. Join me in supporting Feeding America and your local food bank at feedingamerica.org. Together, we can solve hunger. Together, we're Feeding America. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. A historic moment from the archives at museum.tv. There can be no stable and enduring peace without the participation of the People's Republic of China and its 750 million people. That is why I have undertaken initiatives in several areas to open the door for more normal relations between our two countries. Experience more history at museum.tv. It only takes a minute to find out if you may have prediabetes. And you can do it at doihaveprediabetes.org. But you're probably not going to. Nope. I'm sure you've got a perfectly good excuse. Kids, work, <laughs> I get it, you're busy. So what better time than now? Let's begin. Raise one finger if you're a man. Ladies, none yet. Oh, count in your head if you're driving. Now, three more fingers for everyone over 60, two over 50, one over 40, one more if you're not physically active, another finger if anyone in your family has type two diabetes, another if you've got high blood pressure, 
If you're overweight, raise another finger. Two, if you're very overweight. And three, if you're really overweight. You've just taken the world's first audio prediabetes test. And if you're holding up five or more fingers, visit doihaveprediabetes.org or talk to your doctor. There's no excuse because prediabetes can be reversed. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners.